You are listening to So You Want to Read Tolkien, a podcast that goes through each of J.R.R. Tolkien's main works, chapter by chapter, and discusses them in a most ridiculous manner. One does not simply walk into Mordor. I would cut off your head, dwarf, if it stood but a little higher from the ground. We've had one, yes. What about second breakfast? Yeah, Till at last I threw down my enemy and smote his ruin upon the mountainside. What's happening out there? Shall I describe it to you? Or would you like me to find you a box? Now, don't be hasty, Master Miriado. Is this new devil right? Hello and welcome to So You Want to Read Tolkien. Today we are doing Book 5, Chapter 10, The Black Gate Opens. I'm Caitlin and I really hate summer. I like that this is your intro for like all of our summer episodes. Yeah, <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I'm over it. It's too hot. I want it to be October 10th right now. I'm ready for it. Hey, my birthday. <laughs> Great. Two reasons <laughs> for October 10th. <laughs> um, I'm Rachel, and um, I guess my, my intro is also about the one thing I do hate about summer, and it's that I have 40 mosquito bites on my legs, and it's awful, and I want to claw my legs off. Ouch. I'm Emmy, and I have just recently invested in a paddleboard, which means I've spent almost every single day of the last week out on Lake Michigan, and it's been awesome. Sorry, I should have come up with something tragic and terrible to share with the class, but no, we've deviated celebrate. from the theme. Celebrate that your life is good, or something. Or something. Uh, so, characters in this chapter, there are a lot of them, but also none of them matter, which is kind <laughs> of funny. None of them matter. Um, so I kind of, I kind of tried to break them into sections. Um, the first characters that are briefly in this chapter are Mary and Burgel. Burgel, we never determined how that's supposed to be said. Anyway, they are left behind. I think we went with Burgel because it rhymed with Virgil. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, well, they're, they're left behind. We left them in Minas Tirith. Um, they're hanging out while, you know, someone each of them loves goes off to certain doom. Yeah, like the sad, you know, left behind lovers slash waiting child. for my husband to come back from the war. Pretty much. I mean, Mary, anyway. Yeah. Um. So then, among the people who are off going to war, we have Gandalf, who is apparently in charge of making dramatic announcements on trumpets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's you know mm-hmm. tracks with his drama. Uh, we have Imrahil, who officially cedes his role as king, uh, also for the drama. Uh, Aragorn uh, can't put off being king anymore. He's pretty much in charge. (laughs) (laughs) Except Uh, Gandalf is making all the decisions in this chapter, as per (laughs) usual. I mean, yeah. Which is funny, because he also sort of gets demoted in this chapter. Anyway, we'll talk about it. Yeah. But. So yeah, Legolas uh, is back to being the token woodland elf, and Gimli is there being the token dwarf in this party, and, um, Pippin is also the token hobbit, um, but also all the other hobbits are gone now, and they've all had their heroic moments, so he's basically straight up told, this is your time to do something valiant. Don't screw it up. Um, I mean, I think that's an exact quote. He, he saved Faramir. Faramir would be dead without him. I, I didn't say it was right. Oh, okay. I'm just saying, Gandalf basically shamed him. I'm just- what they're saying is, like, valiance in battle. Well, that's yeah. a bunch of he, bullshit. He, like, rolled... Faramir out of the fireplace. I mean, it wasn't a fireplace, it was a pyre, but you know, wasn't like See, he stabbed it's, it's an orc the in the face. Toxic masculinity affects hobbits too. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, there are a couple others who are technically there. Uh, Baragond, um, Virgil's dad, the guard dude who killed some guys, but still gets to tag along for a certain doom. Yeah. I assume they figure he'll die in the battle. Yeah, they're like, then we don't have to pass judgment or yeah, deal exactly. with anything. Trying I would do treason. the same thing if I were them. Right? Like, yeah, but they literally and, and, say, don't walk with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Elrohir and Eladan are there, but they're pretty much only ever referred to as Elrond's sons. 
Um, I think they are only exclusively referred to as Elrond's sons. Like, at the very beginning when they showed up, they were introduced. And since then, it's like, nope, just Elrond's sons. So I think in honor of that, we should just rename Elrond as well and just call him Erendil's son. I figure for like the first hundred or so years of his life, that's all Elrond was called. Because that was <laughs> that was back when everybody knew Arendelle, right? When he was still like a, a big deal right now, not just a... a Star in the sky? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I think he well, was that, but you know what I'm saying. Here's my question. How can Legolas be the token elf? Because he really, he is. It's like almost explicitly said when in fact there are... Elrond's children right there. So I went on that emotional journey and then I was like, oh, but it was like each of the, it's representing each of the enemies of Mordor. And I was like, okay, I guess technically if you could count Woodland Elves separate from like the Rivendell Elves. Also, the Elrond here and Elidan are always with the Dunedain and I think they're kind of lumped in with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they're only like quarter elf at this point. Half? No, 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 because their their mom was fully elf. True. Okay, so... I don't know, two thirds? <laughs> Where does that put us? We're not getting into this. Too yeah. much math. <laughs> um anyway, uh maybe that's actually the the version among elves of like not naming your kid until you know they're gonna survive like the baby diseases. <laughs> Is it's like you wait a hundred years to see if it's worth calling this elf child by their own name and not just by their parents. <laughs> I are mean, they going to do something worthwhile? I mean, these two dudes are probably thousands of years old at this point. <laughs> all, all I was saying is that Elrond was probably at some point in his life like, man, when I have kids, they're going to be known as Elrond's sons because <laughs> Elrond is just as important as Aaron Dill. <laughs> I definitely thought you were going to say Aaron Dick. <laughs> I, I honestly I don't know why I put that weird emphasis on it. It, it just sort of happened. Attitude. Yeah. Being a snotty teenage elf. Yeah. Um. Anyway, <laughs> we're still on characters, guys. I was going to say characters, man. They're taking a while. There were yeah. a lot of them, even though yeah. they, meant, they meant nothing. So that's it for all our, our good guys. Uh, on the side of evil, we have one very important character, and it is the Mouth of Sauron, who gross. is... Yeah, it's pretty gross. Uh, he's also just a really, really, really evil dude. He's technically human but he's 100 percent evil i i enjoy that you left out everything except what he actually is which is a black numenorian i bring that up later oh cool it's fine we'll talk about it yeah i figured we not. could have a, a long discussion about what little we remember of the history <laughs> of middle earth then and yeah last but not least a cameo by our favorites the deus ex eagles Woo! it's been a They're while back. it's it's been like three books something like that yeah since a Deus Ex Eagles. And like that first book was having Deus Ex Eagles like every fucking chapter. Yeah. <laughs> so the short summary is I don't know how to read this. Okay. All right. Do you know how to read? This is it. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> All right. This is it. We're gearing up for a huge battle at the Black Gate. It's going to be super epic. This is the climax. It all ends here. Wait. That is the short summary that Rachel wrote for me. <laughs> it's really accurate. I hope I did it justice. Yeah, we just do a whole lot of building up and then it stops. And then Pippin dies. And we have dies. to go back in time again. I mean, Pippin dies yeah. at the end of this chapter. He's totally dead. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, let's, we'll get into it. Um, so this is two days after the end of the last chapter, right? Which, if you don't remember, at the end of the last chapter, Aragorn, like, took out a sword and said it wouldn't be sheathed again until he had defeated, you know, Mordor and the enemies. Um, so two days later, presumably, Aragorn has still not sheathed his sword. Um, and the army of the West has assembled on the Pelennor Fields, which my question was, you know, where were they before now? Because they were definitely on the Pelennor in the last chapter. No, they were... Well, inside the city, weren't they? Nope. The camp was oh, the outside camp. the, the camp. city gates. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, they moved some people around, right? Because like the the southern reinforcements came up and they had to play musical housing. Musical tents? Yeah. Anyway, they're all on the Pelennor and then they decide they're going to set out to the gate of Mordor. Not a surprise. Um, all of the enemy forces have fled before them. So their way is like fairly clear as far as, you know, trying to move 
thousands of people across what used to be enemy territory. Um, we have Legolas and Gimli once again sharing a horse at the front of the company. Um, then we have Aragorn, Gandalf, the sons of Elrond, again, not named. Um, Pippin, Sans Mary, as we said, we leave him behind. And the Dunedain are all in the vanguard. Mary is forced to stay behind with Burgil, um, who can't go because he's a child. Um, he's Baragond's son. And Baragond himself, um, who was known for abandoning his post to save Faramir from being set on fire in the last chapter, he murdered all of Denethor's guards. Um, he's riding out at the head of the company of men of the city, but not with the guard of the tower. The tower guard. Words are hard. Um, he's not allowed to go with the tower guard. The guard because of the tower. Won't. You know, the tower with the guard. The tower the guard with the guard. Specifically guards. designed to kill the tower. <laughs> Those guys. Anyway, he's riding out with the men of the city because he cannot fight with the guard uh, while he has these charges of treason and or dereliction of duty or, you know, whatever they're called. They're hanging Murder? over him. The guard are like, you're not allowed to ride with us, bro. Go to the back. So, sorry, Baragond just trying to do the right thing. They write out very poetically. It's beautifully written. It's very picturesque. And then Mary's arm hurts to look at it, um, which was a little weird. <laughs> he like looked at it and he despaired so badly, he injured himself again. So Virgil takes him back to the healers um, and gives him hope by saying like super adorably that the men of Minas Tirith will never be overcome. And then he also says like, they have Lord Elfstone with them and also my dad. <laughs> it was super cute. No, he says, and they have Baragond of the Tower. But, you know, whatever. That's what he means. Baragond is his dad. He's super proud of him. <laughs> the, the murderer. <laughs> Listen. When I grow up, I want to be just like right dad. for the right reasons. Yeah. I do think it's really funny. I was like, does Virgil not know that his dad just showed up and slaughtered a bunch of people he used to know? Or, I don't know. I, I don't get a really good gauge of what Virgil's age is. Yeah. But a uh, child. You know, I know, like, they, they set up the establishment that it's like you know mary's basically been infected with dark sadness he has he has an acute depression <laughs> of the arm of the arm. acute <laughs> depression of the arm <laughs> <laughs> so you know exactly what it means and when you're reading it it really it does come across but also it sounds really funny <laughs> when you say it out loud it does it's oh man anyway okay um the army arrives at Osgiliath. Osgiliath. I can talk. Um, where, oh yeah, they have to cross the river, um, but there is no infrastructure there because the orcs and men destroyed it all, so they have to use some of the fairies that the orcs left behind and then, you know, hand wave by the end of the sentence, everyone's gotten across the river. No questions asked. Don't look too hard. Um, I wish all then, my problems were solved like that. I know, right? They were like, oh, look, there's fairies. And then suddenly, bam, we're five miles away from Iskiliath, and they decide to halt their first day's march um, because it's a straight shot to Minas Morgul because they're on um, the road that used to run between the Tower of the Sun and the Tower of the Moon. So the horsemen decide to leave the army there and ride ahead of them to the crossroads. And there's like a great picturesque ring of trees. And they find that the darkness that used to haunt the crossroads has been dispelled and is instead replaced by this watchful eye of nature, which I think is supposed to be like reassuring, but sounded really super creepy. Aragorn, which actually now that I say this, Aragorn did make one decision. Um, he sets trumpeters at each of the four crossroads to blow with great fanfare and the heralds cry out, the lords of Gondor have returned and all this land that is theirs, they take back. It's so so then they funny because like we've established that like no one lives in this land. Nope. This is the I mean, empty it is place. the land of the living still versus the land of the dead. But uh, no one's here. No one. Um, they fix this desecrated statue that is at somewhere, some point in the ring of trees at the crossroads. I don't know. But it has an orc head on it instead of the head of the old king. Like, they knocked the head off This is um, and put graffiti all over it. We saw this statue in two towers. Like, Frodo walked by it. There we go. So now we lift up the head, which has a crown, and we put the king's head back on the now clean statue. Because this is what they decided was a good use of their time. I, they're making oh, a course. statement. I mean... We're, there's certain places happening right now. We're tearing down statues and putting up different things. Excellent point. That is very fair. <laughs> yeah. Very also, timely. the army needed time to catch up because they left it, you know, behind. Um, so after they've done these public works, um, they have to discuss where they want to go. And Imrahil, which I spelled very wrong here. Um, yes. 
<laughs> Imra Hill believes that they should go to Minas Morgul and they should bring the evil city down first before proceeding to the gate because, you know, they have to walk by it in order to go to the Black Gate. But Gandalf vehemently disagrees because the evil that dwells in that valley will infect the minds of men with horror and madness. And, you know, clearly he has no faith that they're going to win. Um, and also, probably more importantly, because Faramir brought news that Frodo and Sam went that way in order to get to the pass of Sirithungul. Um, so above all else, they don't want to draw attention, Sauron's attention to anywhere Sam and Frodo may still be, which good point, Gandalf. Yeah, like the entire point here is a distraction. So like, maybe don't go there. Let's not follow them. So the main force catches up to them at the crossroads. They leave a guard to wait in the woods um, to ambush any enemies that come that way. But um, as we said before, they don't see anyone. Aragorn and Gandalf are riding off with the vanguard to the Morgul Vale, where they then look down upon Minas Morgul um, and break the evil bridge. And then they set fire to all the fields very dramatically and then take their men and ride away to the gate. Fun time. A little bit of arson. Classic, like... Yeah, there's bridge destroying. Sounds like a good day. I mean, it also sounds like very much an aesthetic. Like I'm going to stand at the top of this valley and set it on fire and then ride away. And don't look back because you don't look back when you walk away from fire. That's I feel like this is the scene that like if they had put it in the movie among all of the Lord of the Rings, which aren't at all dramatic, of course not. People would be like, that's just, it's just too dramatic. It's not realistic. (laughs) Would have had the wind blowing in their hair as they rode. Yeah. Would have been perfect. That's what it would have looked like if uh, Nick Cage had been Aragorn. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely a little bit, yeah. Um, Okay, so every so often, right, they're leaving the Morgul Vale, they're heading towards the Black Gate, and Gandalf has the trumpets blow and the heralds yell, the lords of Gondor are come. Let us, (laughs) let all leave (laughs) this land or yield them up. Sorry, my H key on my keyboard doesn't work, so all of these words are spelled wrong. Um... (laughs) And also, Gandalf is just, like, having these heralds yell at no one. There's no (laughs) one there but them. The squirrels really need to know. Everyone needs to know. The trees need to know. Hey, Um, those trees might be alive. You don't know. Yeah. It's true. We don't... They were perfectly in, like, a perfect circle, so... No judgments. They could be alive. Finally, after Gandalf does this many times, Imrahil is like, stop saying Lords of Gondor. He is a king, even if he's in denial about it, and it'll give the enemy something to think on if you keep saying King Elisar, which I just thought was really, really funny because nobody consults Aragorn about this at all. I do love that, that he's kind of, the choice is taken away from him, which is peak Aragorn. Really, it is. They're like, I know he hasn't sat on the throne yet, but he has to, so... Just say it, and then it'll be true. Yeah. Or, Imrahil saw this as his chance. He knew that he was fucking done with being in that city. He didn't want that. <laughs> Nightmare's like, call him king. Call him the king. If we make the decision for him, he can't go back. <laughs> like, I don't want that job. I want to go home. No kidding. And, you know, again, no one is around them, so no one comes out to fight them when they make these, like, bold declarations with trumpet horns and yelling... And it's really anticlimactic. Yeah, and, and Sauron himself already knows who's coming, so. But does he? How many times do they have to announce it? I feel like 10 times before he really knows. Like, Aragorn talked to him in his brain. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty That's sure so he true. knows who A it is. A valid point. Whether they call him king, you know, among the trumpets or not. <gasps> oh, God, it's true. Why are we doing this? Okay, they're marching. You know, it's been days. They're still marching. Uh, because this book is all about how difficult it is to move an army from one place to another. Except for when you're crossing a river. Except for when we're crossing the river. I would have liked to know if they built a bridge, because as we're talking about public works, that would have been more worthwhile than just putting a head back on a statue. I don't know. Whatever. No one even lives there. But they're marching, (laughs) and the soldiers find their hearts are growing heavier and heavier with the foreboding of evil with every mile they travel. And eventually, on the second day... We have our very first mention of conflict. I say mention of conflict because, you know, it doesn't really happen. It's like super boring. There is a company of orcs and Easterlings who attempt to lay wait in ambush. But of course, because they're so smart, the captains of the West have sent scouts ahead of them. um, And the scouts come back and warn them. And so they rout the enemy. The end. (laughs) I think, was this the bit where um, it's just like, it's barely mentioned that they fight here, but 
I think it's noted that this is the same place that Faramir had ended up yes. waylaying the Oliphants. Herod? Um, the Herodrum. Yeah. Herodrum, okay. Yeah, those people. Um, which is, you know, it's so very Tolkien, like the, you know, Describing the narrow pass that we've and, seen once before. Right, having it happen in the same place, but also being like, right, remember how, like, the, car- the paths are crossing and we're about to go back in time again and catch back up on stuff? Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> like this whole chapter is setting up the next chapter. That's yeah, it really is. Um, but they they win this this victory, which is in actually no way notable because Aragorn immediately points out that they're being set up by Sauron to think that the enemy is weaker than they actually are, um, so that they will walk to the Black Gate with like an overabundance of confidence. And then from that night on, the Nazgul begin to silently follow the army like, too far away in the sky for anyone besides Legolas to see them, but everyone can feel this, like, terrible sense of dread as the Nazgul just swoop over them in the clouds. So they're being stalked. I love the Nazgul. They're such good characters. So creepy. They're a good... Excellent uh, importance of doom. ...motif. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? They have an aesthetic that they cling to, and I can respect that. I suppose that's what I meant. It's like everybody has the acute depression following them. Instead of in their arm. (laughs) I read somewhere, you know, in the bowels of the internet that the reason why they win in Lord of the Rings, the reason why, you know, mankind ends up winning the day is because even though throughout the entire book, they come across all these things where they lose no hope, like they have no hope, they lose like their will, they just keep marching forward. And I feel like the Nazgul are sort of the personification of that. This, I mean, I'm going to talk about this in the coming chapters, but that is exactly why Frodo is my favorite character. Because he does he does lose all hope and he just keeps going. Put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean we've again it's been a while since we talked about Tolkien going to war, but you know, he knows what that feels like and it's a completely different scenario, but again, as we keep reading this now in the current times being what they are it just it's it feels so relatable and that that in a completely different way than I'm sure Tolkien was even thinking when he he wrote it but the idea of the Nazgul hovering with that just omnipresent dread and how sometimes just keeping going is all you can do yeah okay I definitely want to talk about Tolkien's experience at war at the end of this next paragraph um, sorry <laughs> no no this is this is a good segue because now um if you've lost track of time, it's been four days since the crossroads and six days since they left Minas Tirith um, before they pass out of the lands of the living and into just like complete stark desolation. Just These just, are the lands of the dead. Just so everybody Woo! is aware, that means that our estimation last time of it taking three days to get to the gate was super wrong. <laughs> that sounds about right for us. Yeah. How fast does a school fly or an eagle? Which one did we do the math for? I can't remember. I don't. We they did, go as we fast did. as a Boeing 747. <laughs> we, we did the math for, you know, our, our epic heroes doing a full-on marathon through Rohan, and we forgot about needing to travel, you know, 7,000 ordinary humans. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that happens. Math is hard. Um, so we're now in, you know, the lands of the dead with the marshes and the desert. And some of the host of men, which it's marked upon that they are primarily men of Rohan, they are completely unmanned by what they come across. They, like, can't ride or walk any further. And instead of berating them or forcing them on, um, Aragorn gives them instead the charge to head southwest and retake Ker Andros um, and hold it in defense of Gondor and Rohan so that they will not be, like, wholly shamed by what is essentially, I guess, cowardice is... The way it's phrased in the book, but also as something that is completely understandable, because for the men of Rohan, Mordor has always been something that is a far distant threat, and now they are walking up to it, which I guess is very different from having the orcs walk up to them in their home. And some are shamed by Aragorn's mercy at, like, finding a new charge for them, and they find the strength to go on with the rest of the captains of the West, but some of the riders take new hope in orders that will take them far away from here, and they depart at once. So I thought it was really interesting that they make note of how they, that Tolkien makes note of how um, Aragorn immediately finds something else for these men to do, because I have a feeling that in the trenches, 
That was not how soldiers were treated. I honestly am not sure about that. I will say this is the one time that I really think we see Aragorn be a good leader. Or one of the few times. Well, this is definitely decisive leadership. Yeah. And it, I think it's a good decision, too. Like, I, I like that he didn't, like, just kill these guys or whatever. Yeah. Well, and I mean... Leave them there to die. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're supposed to fully buy into this whole idea that, you know, the return of the king leads to an era of peace. And and this is, you know, an excellent little moment of Aragorn showing what kind of king he will be when he manages to make decisions is that, you know, he's compassionate, but in a way that is also best for the people. Because it's not, you know, if he had just said, you know, it's okay, you can turn back, that would be a lot more, you know, condescending or, or dismissive than saying, hey, you know, this is okay, but here's something you can do. And it is still a good thing for them to do. And I think that's it's leadership skills. Woo. <laughs> Let's all go to Aragorn's uh, leadership training. Uh, it's so nice that he's growing as a person. <laughs> also, it's just very clever of him to have had that thought in his head. Like he's just had this whole map of everywhere that needs to be reclaimed once they finish at the Black Gate, which demonstrates to me anyway, like a sense of hope mm-hmm. in what was essentially like a suicide march for all of these people. But yeah, no, he thought of somewhere else to send them, right? He didn't just keep them with the party and force them on or leave them at the edge of the marches to wait for everyone to come back. I don't know. I think it's very notable because that is not typically how uh, wars are fought. And as for what you were saying about the trenches, you know, I, so obviously I, I, I have no idea what it was like in the trenches. Um... But I would have thought, at least when you were there, maybe people would be understanding of feeling that way. But from what I understand about, like, the whole propaganda around World War One, is people at home were not understanding at all. Like, if you didn't want to go to war for your country, you were shamed so much uh, for World War One Because, like, World War One was a war that absolutely was bullshit. It was just about rich people wanting to say they were better than the other rich people. Or that they had more weapons than the other rich people. So there was this whole thing where they started this, you know, like propaganda about how if you didn't want to fight for your country, you were a coward and you were shameful and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, Britain was at least fairly closely involved because even though they're, you know, separated by some water, <laughs> it's very close. But it, in a way, it's almost unique from our perspective, from the, the American and Canadian perspective of these people who were drafted to go to war for the continent of Europe. Yeah. Right? I mean, don't... like uh, Canada was all up in that. We were super more involved with England at the time, politically mm-hmm. speaking, so... But but even so, how many of these people had never even yeah. left their country? True. Let alone go all the way across and right here, they're asked to pretty much enter hell for the sake of people who told them that was the right thing to do yeah so you guys went in completely a different direction than i was thinking i was thinking more that you're fighting in the trenches there is nowhere for you to go you have to sit in that trench with all of these other shell-shocked people for months on end and there's no movement no no totally i'm just thinking like there's uh, among the people who are stuck there the different perspectives people come at it from yeah And, and you know how many people there wished they could be given another charge to do something useful, if only for a change of scenery? Mm-hmm. Sorry, yes, I see what you're saying. I thought you were saying that the people in charge during World War One were fucking assholes, <laughs> which is also true. Well, I mean, that's not wrong. Yeah, so, oh, uh, how little things have changed. Yeah. Um. So all of this to say, back to our blurb, because this is actually a pretty short chapter given that we move a lot, but nothing really happens. Um, They arrive at the Black Gate. With uh, with less than 6,000, the captains of the West came at last to the Black Gate and the might of Mordor, Um, which is just a really good sentence. But also 6,000 people against what is essentially a country of soldiers really sets us up for our black moment, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, even though you like you knew going in, you know, they left with 7,000, like they knew they were like, this is... Uh, you know big enough to draw attention but small enough that we're not killing everybody like 
it really hits you that this is basically a suicide mission. They're not coming back. Unless um, Frodo gets his shit together. We'll see. We'll see. Spoilers. Um, okay, except not yet, right? Because they ha- they're still marching forward. They haven't actually arrived. They keep saying they've arrived, and then they don't. They do this like three times. They make camp, uh, but nobody can sleep because of the general creepiness of their surroundings. And a cold wave blows in from the north. Um, and in the end, the company ends up moving off the road and approaches the Black Gate and its Towers of Teeth from the northwest, which is notably, once again, exactly what Frodo did. So we're talking about how Tolkien likes to do throwbacks to, you know, crossing landscapes other characters are familiar with. We've done it twice mm-hmm. in one chapter. Mm-hmm. It is, it's, it's kind of funny because you're just thinking like they each sort of not so much tried to, but like went to the quote unquote wrong entrance first. They you really know? did. Like, how they were coming from Minas Tirith took them by Frodo's needed entrance while they went to the other, and, and Frodo came to the Black Gate first, and it wasn't right. and Went around. Yeah, just kind of interesting. Tragic. They get to the Black Gate, and then they stand there in silence, which is just so typical. It's like a moment that I literally in my head just personified the Force Awakens, Poe Dameron, Kylo Ren confrontation with like, who talks first? Do you talk first? Do I talk first? They're just standing in front of the Black Gate and nothing's happening. They know that they're surrounded by enemies that are hiding out in the hills and they can finally see the Nazgul, um, you know, swooping and soaring up in the sky above the gate. So Aragorn decides he sets the troops um, to protect themselves presumably from all angles, though it doesn't say that. And then the captains of the army ride with him to the gate, which is Gandalf as Chief Herald, which, wow, demotion. Sorry, Gandalf. You used to be a wizard. Now you're just a herald. Aragorn and the sons of Elrond, again, not named. Eomer, Imrahil, Legolas, and Gimli, and Pippin. So, oh, right. Eomer's no, here, technically. Eomer is technically here. Did we forget him up in the characters? We Oops. did. <laughs> You know what? He he brought the writers of Rohan. Most of Rohan is here. Except for the ones that turned back. <laughs> God, yeah. Ignore me. Okay. A representative from, you know, every enemy of Mordor in Middle-earth is now at the gate. So we've got Rohan, we've got Gondor, we've got Dol Amrath, Woodland Elves, Rivendell Elves, Gimli, and Gandalf. Hobbit. And a Hobbit. Sorry, Pippin. Um, so I was going to actually read the Herald speech here because... It's different. Do I know page numbers? Let's find out. I don't know. I just scrolled down to look at your next page number call out. An excellent use of the word salvo. Thank you. Very fancy. I am fancy. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. So the heralds are going to start talking. Uh, come forth, they cried. Let the lord of the black land come forth. Justice shall be down upon him. For wrongfully he has made war upon Gondor and wrested its lands. Therefore, the king of Gondor demands that he should atone for his evils and depart then forever. Come forth. And then it turns out that Sauron is, you know, one of those villains who likes to play with his food before he eats it. And he makes them sit there in silence for a long, long time. I will say this is another one of those lines that I I sort of just hear in, in Viggo Mortensen's voice. Yep. You can't help it. Yeah. It was iconic. And also vaguely had an Australian accent. So I thought he he did something weird with his voice there, but I thought it came across as almost lightly Irish. Not like really Irish, but like lightly Irish. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't sound like Aragorn from the rest of the movie. Maybe that's why they cut it out of the theatrical. Very possibly. It's not, but. Um, okay. So again, we're sitting in silence. And just as everybody is about to turn back from the gate, it opens. <laughs> and in the movie, we get the super creepy dude with the weird lip carving that I hate seriously gives me nightmares in this one uh here we get the mouth of sauron he rides out he is the lieutenant of the tower of baradur um who doesn't even remember his own name which that's pretty dark let me just share that but he is one of the black numenorians who worshiped sauron um and is generally as we said above like a really really bad dude just to say the guy in the movie is supposed to be this guy they just made him look creepy but he is supposed to be this i mean they did very much emphasize the mouth yeah (laughs) Um, I was gonna say, they really, I don't know that he came across in the movie at all as, like, one of the primitive, right? They're men. They're, he's like the evil version of Aragorn. Yeah, those teeth were not human teeth in that mouth. Well, he's lived in Mordor, or he's been in the service of Sauron for over 2,000 years. 
So he's stolen someone else's teeth? <laughs> well, I just mean some shit has happened to him if he's a black Numenorian who's still alive. Oh, yeah. He learned a lot of, like, super, super evil magic um, and was clearly tortured enough that he doesn't remember his own name. But yeah, I, I just, I talking about, you know, optics and everything, I, I like the idea of it just being a really evil guy, right? And not, you know, like one of the various creatures that's been disfigured by Sauron because disfigurement is not evil um it's just a guy who is like yep Sauron I'm into this let's go be evil and you know it's described how much he you know worked himself basically into Sauron's good graces and yeah was super enamored with evil yeah I want to say that's a direct quote it is and, and sometimes it's just people who are evil and it's not an evil creature as much as we would like it to be that's, I forgot yeah. the description at the end of his uh, very long paragraph uh, says he was more cruel than any orc, which given that he is technically a man, I don't know. I think that's notable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did the you bounds of human add, cruelty. No, no. Yes. Limit. Sorry. You said my name. I was going to say, did you have something to say? I thought I interrupted you. I have. No, it's fine. Okay. Then I'm going to read the opening salvo by the super evil dude. Is there anyone in this route with the authority to treat with me, he asked. Or indeed, with wit to understand me? Not thou, at least, he mocked, turning to Aragorn with scorn. It needs more to make a king than a piece of elvish glass, or a rabble such as this. Why, any brigand of the hills can show as good a following. And then... (laughs) It is sort of like, oh, your army's pathetic, but, like, let's be fair. Aragorn knew that when he brought them. He did. But I really love that... Aragorn gives him like really aggressive eye contact, like just stares at him, mm-hmm. and he gets so intimidated that he tries to turn it into drama, <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. And Gandalf is sitting there on his horse and he's like, literally, actually, nothing's happened. Nothing has happened here. You're just being rude. So the messengers, you know, classically like, you want to see rude? And shows Gandalf and everybody who's there Frodo's mithril mail, his elven cloak and brooch, and there's the sword that they confiscated. Sam's. <gasps> Sam's sword, not Sting. Sam's sword. Thank you. With Frodo's stuff. Gasp. Pain. Drama. Um, Pippin jumps forward with a cry of distress, which gives the game away, um, because they can then no longer deny that they know the owner of all of those objects. But um, uh, the messenger calls Frodo a spy, which is the first hint that they don't actually know how close the ring is to yeah. uh, Mount Doom. Um, and the Mouth of Sauron says that the fate of the owner of these garments depends entirely on their choices now and no one says anything which the messenger takes to mean that they you know care deeply about their captive spy i love this because it it gives away the game to us and them in that like very um you know uh a dramatic irony way is they're they're like yeah you know here's we caught your spy and you know he's gonna be tortured and stuff um but like we all know and even like the good guys know that if they actually had Frodo, I mean they're they're you know being they're they're a little terrified right now. But if they actually had Frodo, then Sauron would have the ring, and things would be very different right now. That's not so exactly true. Have that because okay, imagine you have no idea what the story of the Lord of the Rings is, which I know is difficult. But like <laughs> the, the last time we saw the ring, it was with Sam. And Sam had Sting, and Sting is not in this pile of shit. So as far as we know, they still only have Frodo, and Sam could still have the ring. Uh, okay, I mean, fair, but uh, I guess I mean more for the the idea of what Frodo and Sam at this point represent. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean this as offense to Frodo. <laughs> you can be Which very sad no for Frodo himself. Sam. But right, but but so but bad. the idea is for the mission, right? right no, and the, that, the point would still remain fair. That. Sorry, I. But what I'm saying is, if you're reading this the first time and you have no idea what the story is, you could potentially think that Frodo is dead and that Sam is finishing up the mission. Yes, that is fair. That's what I meant. That it still has stakes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. No. I, I mean, obviously, it still has stakes. <laughs> We're not but, done yet. No one's won. But right, just all of them are, are standing there silent in front of the, him because they're like, we know something you don't know. <laughs> um, so the mouth says that, you know, their spy, 
aka Frodo, but he doesn't know his name, will endure like slow torture in the Great Tower for years unless they accept the terms put forth. And this part, like, hurt my heart because Gandalf says, name thy terms, and everyone looks at him and no one doubts that he will accept whatever terms there are. Which, ugh, that description hurt me. Okay, now unless anybody thinks it's a bad idea, I was going to read all of the terms because I thought it was funny. I mean, it's it was not funny. funny. <laughs> it's it's yes. just like... Give us this good joke, Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> These are the terms, said the messenger, and smiled as he eyed them one by one. The rabble of Gondor and its deluded allies shall withdraw at once beyond the Anduin, first taking oaths never again to assail Sauron the Great in arms, open or secret. All lands east of the Anduin shall be Sauron's forever, solely. West of the Anduin... As far as the Misty Mountains and the Gap of Rohan shall be a tributary to Mordor. I lost my sentence. And men there shall bear no weapons, but shall have leave to govern their own affairs. But they shall help to rebuild Isengard, which they have wantonly destroyed. And that shall be Sauron's. And there his lieutenant shall dwell. Not Sauruman, but but one more worthy of trust. Wantonly. Wantonly. (laughs) Also, it'll be an excellent restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they've got all the food there. It's noted immediately after this that the mouth of Sauron believes quite firmly that he will be the lieutenant who takes its place in Isengard. I mean, he's this is a British book. He believes he will be the lieutenant. (laughs) Mine says lieutenant. Leave me alone. No, it's the same (laughs) spelling. Americans just changed it. To be fair. How do you ever get lieutenant out of that? I, know I was going to say, I've only say seen it, lieutenant but... spelled with the word left in it. I have never seen it spelled that way. It, have I? I don't think so. I think it's just lieutenant, but you pronounce it lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to Google it and I typed it into our talk instead. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, okay. Lieutenant is a pronunciation of lieutenant, but is sometimes spelled lieutenant in American. <laughs> writings okay (laughs) cool how do you get lieutenant out of okay never mind whatever the lower ranked soldier on the left protected the senior officer's left side in which case why did you use the word lou but okay do you know because french we don't need to get into it it's fine it is en français (laughs) why aren't there any right tenants then (laughs) here's a good question probably because what is that piece of armor called Pauldrons? I'm looking at this pauldron, the word that I meant. Yeah, pauldrons are uh, usually over the side that's um, yeah, going to cover right the vulnerable the strong part. Side of and left side's your weak side, so no one cares about who's on the right side. Because that's where your sword is. Unless you're me. And then you're dead. <laughs> you would have been killed <laughs> would as never a devil have child. Made it. Okay, okay. We're doing so well, guys. And by well, I mean badly, but to the point. Um, Gandalf points out that what the mouth of Sauron is asking for is more than Sauron could win in a single war or even in many wars. Has he lost so much faith in his troops that he has now fallen to haggling? And they will only consider the terms once they have seen the prisoner. Which, at this point, I was like, nobody's nobody's asked for Sam. What about Sam? Nobody's even thought about Sam. Which really is the greater, greater crime. That's just really sad. Okay, so... What it comes down to, the messenger gets all high and mighty. Sauron does not give assurances. If you want surety, you must first do his bidding. The Pitting? Words are hard. Pitting. Pitting. Must do his pitting. Um, No stone fruits for Sauron. (laughs) But he does (laughs) get wontons. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so at this point, Gandalf, who at the top of this page was like ready to give in and now at this point is back to his high drama self, he throws off his gray cloak and reveals that he is white despite days on the road and no laundry, which this is a superpower I want to have. His clothes are still (laughs) blindingly white. So when the messenger flinches back from him, Gandalf snatches the belongings, mail, cloak, and sword, and rejects the terms wholesale. I'm telling you, like, super dramatic. I'm imagining the quote cloak just like whirling so uh here's here's the thing as soon as gandalf snatched this and then they just like get on with things the thing i'm most sad for is that they have this mithril cloak why didn't they just stick it on pippin you have this poor hobbit here who probably can use all the help he can get you have a hobbit sized mithril armor and no one gives it to him 
presumably he is wearing like the tower guard armor and it would take time to take all that off and put the the mail on underneath and then put it all back on and literally they turn around and it's battle time i mean fair but still i know well you're not wrong there's a lot going on here and we lack a lot of common sense. Also, just like once the battle starts, where does Gandalf put everything? But we're going to move on. Hey, the messenger Shadow, is enraged. Shadowfax is just... a magical horse. I'm sure he's got pockets. <laughs> Probably. There you go. Gandalf just like opened a side dimension and stored everything That's there. really why Theoden was pissed. <laughs> the one horse with pockets. See, I pictured the way creepier version of that. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, um. So the mouth of Sauron is like enraged because obviously Gandalf just like stepped forward and snatched all this shit right out of his hands. Um, That's super embarrassing. So with a cry, he jumps back on his horse and rides back to Sirith Gorgor. Oh my God. Hard seas, Emmy, please. I was trying not to say anything, but it's killing me. I can't. (laughs) Nope. You just did. Um, You can. You can. (laughs) I really can't. Um, I think that might be the last one I... I have here so okay great great we're done um that's when Sauron's soldiers spring their trap which actually when I was reading the sentence for a moment I thought he sprang the trap on his own army but no (laughs) he springs his trap on the west which makes way more sense so the messenger and I don't know his guard whoever he traveled out with his Gandalf his trumpeteer yes his heralds who he didn't use, they blow horns long and loud, which was presumably some sort of signal, and the gates swing open, and there's an outpouring of enemy orcs and Easterlings in innumerable numbers. Those are two words to have nice ne- and next to each other. Innumerable numbers. <laughs> um, so the army of the West is surrounded by ten times their number, Sauron having taken their bait and pretty much emptied all of Mordor, which we know clears the way for Sam and Frodo, but... Now, our captains of the West presumably think that one of them, if not both of them, have been captured. Whoops. Whoops-a-daisy. And then this is, this was a super annoying part of the chapter to me, because it's like, battle is about to happen. Battle is happening. And then we get a super distant view of the battle. Aragorn sets orders to fight. The banners of Gondor are raised, as are those of Rohan and Dol Amrath, the sons of Elrond, and the Dunedain Prince Imrahil and his men from Dol Amrath are beside the Tower Guard, and there's, like, you know, this moment where you can sort of picture where everybody is. The Nazgul come, and all hope is shattered. The end. <laughs> then it's it's Pippin's point of view. Like, that was the battle. It was like, and then the Nazgul came, and hope was lost. And you're like, okay, but what? From Pippin's point of view, he uh, mentions, like, how crushed he was when Gandalf rejected the terms for Frodo, how he stood next to Baragond at the front, and how he thought it was better to die quickly and leave the bitter story of his life behind. Oof, sad. My heart. Yeah. Uh, he wishes Mary were here, right? Because then they could die together. Always, I know he always seemed to think that they were going to die next to each other. But it's also really notable that pretty much the only dialogue in this part of the book after the messenger leaves is Pippin thinking about Mary. Um, he claims at this point to understand Denethor a little bit better, right? Because all hope has been lost. And all he can hope for now is that his friend will have an easier end than he does. Oh, Pippin. And for now, all Pippin can do is his best. So he draws his sword, which has red and gold characters of Numenor on its blade. And he remembers that this, particularly, is what the blade was made for. A moment just like this battle. So he wants to kill the messenger with it, right? The mouth of Sauron. And then he might be equal to Merry and Valor, which, when we started this chapter is what he was told he should aspire to. Um, But he's going to make do with killing as many of the enemy as he can. So we get a lot of chaotic battle descriptions. Baragon falls, uh uh-oh, because there are hill trolls that have been set against them. And Pippin manages to slay one, Mm -hmm. which was like super exciting, except then the troll falls on top of Pippin and crushes him with pain and blackness and the general stench of troll. I'm guessing that they didn't, you know, freshly bathe and it didn't put some sound nice like scented it, no. oils on. I do believe he killed the one that was, like, going for Baragond because it was going to, like, bite him or something. Yeah, Baragond was uh, stunned, overborn, and he fell. And then the great troll chief who smote him down bent over with his claws. Because I guess trolls have claws now. I don't know. I can't really picture it. 
And then Pippin stabbed him. So he didn't just stab any troll. He stabbed a troll chief. How did he know he was a chief? Unclear. But go Pippin. I know. Go Pippin. Can you imagine if somebody was like, hey, your best friend killed uh, the king. (laughs) This evil king, dude. Evil ghost king. You got to do the same. (laughs) But there aren't any more evil ghost kings. the only one. I know. Like, can you imagine? Like, what the fuck do you say to that? Like, How many witch kings uh... do you think there are in the world? Um, So right after he has been crushed by blackness and the grossness of this dead troll, um, he hears from the forgotten world far above, the eagles are coming, the eagles are coming. And for one moment, Pippin's thoughts are immediately turned to Bilbo. And then he says, but no... Like, that was in Bilbo's story long, long ago, and this is my story, and it has ended now. Goodbye. Hmm. And that's his last thought, and his eyes see no more. And that's what it ends the book on? (laughs) Pippin's dead? Oh my god! Next chapter, back with Sam and Frodo. Woohoo! Where's Pippin? It is a bit cruel. It was, yeah, I mean, even knowing, really, what happens, I was like, wow, that's dark. But now we're on book six. Yay. Well, I mean, next time. But I will say, you you didn't mention my favorite line, so I'm just going to read it. Do it. I believe it is as they are approaching the Black Gate. (laughs) North, amid their noisome pits, lay the first of the great heaps and hills of slag and broken rock and blasted earth, the vomit of the maggot folk of Mordor. But the rest of it doesn't matter. I just love that. The vomit of the maggot folk of Mordor. Yeah. Ah, so good. It's visceral. We've got some really good descriptions in this chapter. Like at the very beginning when the army is leaving, you could picture it perfectly. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. Take us home, Caitlin. Oh, we're done? Nobody else has anything? I, I don't know. doesn't I put really my things like in the long summary. Okay. So. I'm just checking. Yeah, I, I kind of injected mine in, so. Cool, cool, cool. All right. So that was the end of Return of the King. Book five. Next time, please join us for book six, chapter one, The Tower of Kirith Ungol. In which Caitlin will gloat the entire time. <laughs> I'm not going to gloat. I'm just happy to be back with Frodo. Anyways, if you uh, wish to support our show in a monetary manner, you can do so at patreon.com slash so you want to read Tolkien. If you wish to support us in a non-monetary manner, we always appreciate Likes and reviews on your podcasting listening platform of choice. You can follow us on Twitter at to read Tolkien, and you can email us at wanttoreadtolkien at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye. I've been Rachel. Oh, I've been Caitlin. I've been Emmy. Bye. Bye. I added in an extra line there, and I don't know what that was. Bye.